invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 12, uh, beginning with verse 35, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Uh, we, we get to hear all kinds of different voices in the world today, and depending upon the, your news sources and, and the places where you hear these news, you may hear different things. But brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you this morning that we get to hear the Word of God this morning. What we hear is true, and it's right. So let us give careful attention. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the Son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contribute out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. All she had to live on. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, I, I come to you this morning and pray that your name would be exalted. Oh, we come, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and just implore of you, please speak to us. Oh, God, we, we hear many voices. We, we hear different things from various peoples, and, and our thinking is sort of a combination of all these things. But we just pray this morning that the fog would lift, or the mist would just sort of dissipate, and that we would hear the Word of God. And the Lord, that you may work in our hearts to give us faith, to believe in you and trust in you and walk in you and to know who we are in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those that are here today who don't know you, especially, Lord, those who might think they do. And just pray, God, that today would be the day of salvation. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, my sermon today is, is going to be different than... Uh, it typically is because today's sermon is my last point from last week's sermon. In other words, I preached too long last week and then got to the second point and realized I couldn't cover the, the whole sermon. And so this is going to be uh, the first point. Now, I know we have a number of people who are here today that were not here last week. And you're going, oh, great. Now I won't know what he's talking about. But I do plan to do a recap. And that's not only good, brothers and sisters, for those who weren't here last week, but it's good for those of us who were here last week to also be hear the Word of God and be reminded of what God tells us, that it might encourage us, that it might challenge us, that it might draw our hearts ever closer to, to Him. 
And so uh, let me uh, share with you what, uh, just briefly, what I talked about last week. I talked about what a sad thing it is when a, a, to watch a covenant child who has grown up in the church and to walk away from the faith. And for many of us, I think, we think that is the worst thing that could ever happen, to have one of our kids or our grandkids or our friends or nieces or nephews or whoever walk away from the faith. But I think that there may be something that's even worse than that. That there are those who have grown up in the church and continue in the church and who claim to live by grace and to call themselves Christians, but whose lives are given over to habitual sin with everything in their lives revolving around themselves rather than Christ. It sort of reminds us of the words that Jesus spoke in verse 34. He said, being not far from the kingdom of God. That's what he said to the scribe. You're not far from the kingdom of God. But also in that, he says, you are not in the kingdom of God. And I just think about the many who think that they are so, they're all right. And yet they're not. You see, there can be a world of difference between how we see our lives in relation to God and how God views our relationship with Him. And one of the saddest possibilities imaginable is how far a person can go in professing to be a Christian and yet fall short of salvation. It is so sad, but yet unfortunately it's true. The scriptures speak of such a thing. And so we come to our text today, and while today we're going to focus on verses 41 through 44, I do sort of want to walk through these other things. As Jesus is speaking to the crowds in the temple, and he's talking about the scribes, and he's sort of using them as an example, and he's speaking of the religion of the scribes, and specifically the danger of having a religion with no relationship with God. Of, of being convinced of religion, or we would say Christianity, but not being converted. And, and that's the problem with the scribes. And unfortunately, that's the danger that's everywhere. There is a serious religion, even amongst people who talk much about the Word of God, even amongst people who love to talk about theology and the nuances of theology and to get in great and long and lofty discussions about such things. You see, it's a, a clear and a present danger that scribes are always with us in the church. And so Christ here unpacks three signs that show that a person may be a scribe, that they may be a person who may be religious but have no relationship with God. And so I want us to consider these things this morning. The first two I'm going to go through just very quickly since I covered those last week. And then the third we'll look at a little bit more carefully. First of all, those who make a false profession know Scripture, but they don't know Christ. They know Scripture, but they don't know Christ. Look at verses 35 through 37. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. You see, the scribes uh, knew about Christ and they knew about the things of God. They knew about the Messiah, but the scriptures did not lead them to know Christ as God had revealed him in the scriptures. 
And, and so the, tri the scribes, even though they were experts in the law, they were the ones that, if you had any questions about the scriptures, the writings, you would go to them and you would ask them. Even more so than your pastor. You would go to them and you would ask them and they could most likely answer you. They were, if you could maybe liken it to some of the positions that we have in the church today, they might have been like the resident theologians in the church. And they, they knew the finer nuances of Scripture. And yet Jesus says, you, you guys think you know the Scripture so well. And yet, let me ask you, how, how can the Messiah be David's son and yet David's Lord? You see, that's what the Old Testament is about. It's about the coming Messiah. And, and we looked last week at, at how the Messiah would come from the line of David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. But, but not only that, but this coming king from the line of David was much greater than David. Ezekiel 37 talked about that. He wasn't just a human king, and yet that's what the scribes were looking for. That's what they saw was that there would be this human king who would come and deliver them from their enemies. And so uh, Jesus takes them back even to Psalm 110. There's many Psalms that talk about uh, the coming Messiah, but Psalm 110, David is speaking through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Mark tells us, and he says in verses 1 through 4, Psalm 110, that the Messiah is David's son, yet he is greater than David. He is his Lord, his Adonai. And you have to understand, their culture was almost opposite from our culture today. They actually valued people who were older than them. Now it seems like today we exalt youth. And, and that's, where, that's who's important is the young people. And we just sort of discard people who are older. But not so in, in the Jewish days. Those that came after someone were seen as less than. Their sons were less than. And you just think about the Jewish people. And even what you read in the New Testament. You see that kind of idea of exalting those who are older. Because as the people talked about Abraham. They spoke with great reverence. Father Abraham. Or if they spoke of Moses or someone like that. And so you know Jesus is saying. And yet, the Messiah is his son, and yet you call him Lord. And he said, how can this be, scribes? And of course, the scribes, you know, they, they knew no answer to that. You see, they knew Scripture, but they didn't know the Christ to whom Scriptures pointed. And brothers and sisters, this can be true of us as well. If you were reading the Bible... And it does not inform your mind as to who Jesus Christ is. As you're reading the Word of God, it's more than just, I need to have my quiet time so I can check that off my list, so I can get out the door, and I can feel like I'm a good Christian because I've read my Bible. It's so much more than that. It is like, as we're reading the Word of God, it's like we are seeing who Christ is. And it's informing us, and we're learning new things about Him. I mean, it's just... It's like an old married couple. They've been married over 30 years, and you would think, oh my goodness, they have to be bored with each other. There's nothing new to learn. Well, I'll tell you, you talk with anybody that has gray hair that's married here, and they will tell you, I'm still learning. Sometimes I'm relearning what I should have already known. You know, it's just, it's just, it's new. And it's the same way with the scriptures. We never reach the bottom of the beauty of who our God is. And so if you are reading the Bible and it doesn't inform your mind of who Jesus Christ is and it doesn't stir your affections to love Him, 
more and more. And if it is not molding and shaping your will, and that means the, the way you live your life, the actions, the attitudes of your heart, to be more like Jesus Christ, then you are misreading Scripture in a big way. In a really big way. You're totally missing the point. That's because those who make a false profession know Scripture, but they don't know Christ. The second thing that we saw was those who make a false profession of love, excuse me, those who make a false profession love appearance, but not reality. They love appearance, but not reality. Verses 38 through 40. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. You see here, Mark says here, or Jesus says actually, that the scribes have the appearance of religion. They want to look like they're pious, like they're holy, but, the, but there is not the reality there. There is not the reality of true faith in Christ because they love the outcome of the appearance of religion. They like the praise of people, but they cannot endure the reality of religion. They cannot endure what it means to take up your cross and to follow him. So those who are truly religious, though, truly Christians, uh, are very different than that. They are real with God. And I explained last week a little bit more about what that means, and I wish I had the time to do that this morning. But one who is a, a Christian is with God regularly, and they understand that. Even more than that, actually, God is with them regularly, and they understand that. And we looked at Psalm 139. Uh, to talk about that. Now we think of Psalm 139 oftentimes whenever we're having debates over abortion or the sanctity of human life and how uh, God is with us even in the womb. And that is true. That psalm does point to that. But it talks about so much more. It talks about the God who searches us and the God who knows us. It talks about the God who understands our thoughts from afar. It is the God who scrutinizes our life and understands us as we are. And David speaks of how we daily, moment by moment, live in the presence of God. Now that's true for every human being that's alive, whether they believe in God or not. But for the believer, that is a, it's a special thing. It, it is a life of God being present with us, watching us, and searching us, and knowing us, and revealing to us the motives and attitudes of our hearts. Look, if you would, at Psalm 139, 23. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. What does David say? David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. That's the heart of a believer. That's the heart of a believer that understands that God is with them and they seek to know Him as, as He is, and for Him to know them as they are. You see, we are surrounded by God's presence and His all-seeing eye who penetrates us to the very core of our being. 
And, and it's when you are not real with God, when you have a tendency just to have an appearance of uh, a religion, but really no relationship with God, that you have a tendency to focus on what others think about you, your appearance or, or your reputation, where you spend a lot of your time trying to get people to think things about you that aren't necessarily true, but it's, uh, but it's the way you want to be thought of. But as we are real with God, not only does that foster that relationship that we have with God, but you will have the freedom to be real with other people as well. You'll be able to be, have the freedom to be real with other people. You see, for these scribes, the reality of religion or faith was not there. Even worse than that, not only was that reality not there, but the reality that was there was wretched in the eyes of God. And yet they didn't even see it. They thought that they were, were okay. And Jesus says, well, let's, let's talk about this a little bit. And so he lays out what they were like. They liked all the positions of prestige and they wanted people to, to like them and to honor them. And Jesus even says in, in verse 40 that they devoured widows' houses. Now, we don't know exactly what that means. And I shared some things last week about what that could refer to. But uh, for, for people who claim to be so religious and claim to know God's law better than anyone else, they really did a terrible job of following God's law, I'll tell you. Let me just read from Exodus 22.22. Exodus 22.22 where God says, you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. And yet here are these scribes, these experts in the law, devouring widows. Now, how did they do that? Well, they probably took advantage of widows in some ways. And that could be in terms of hospitality or, or even their generosity. You see, scribes weren't technically allowed to be paid for the, their service in terms of the word of God, okay? However, they, they could, they were allowed to accept subsidies, you know, gifts, right? If somebody wanted to contribute something, they could do that. And as a matter of fact, people were encouraged to do that. I was trying to think of how we could illustrate that today. And maybe it might be like a, a minister who performs a wedding ceremony for a couple. You know, it's, it's I, I don't know many ministers. I guess there are some churches that have a fee for the minister if he uh, performs the ceremony. But I know many ministers that they don't charge a fee. And yet it's not uncommon for people to, you know, give some kind of honorarium just to say thank you, not only for the wedding ceremony, but for the weeks and all the hours that the minister did to, pre you know, do the premarital counseling and stuff. And so it was encouraged to do that. So, you know, it's not maybe as bad as what it sounds to say that people were encouraged to show their appreciation to these scribes. The people were told that it was a godly thing to support the scribes. And, and like I said, that could be having them over to your house for a meal, to, to feed them, to care for them. It, it might have been giving them portions of, of your wealth as well. And you can understand how this could be something abused, especially with widows. Scribes could prey on lonely widows who had genuine desires to serve God. And so the scribes took advantage of such hospitality. I shared with you last week about one scribe who encouraged a widow to give to the, the temple. And yet, then the money never really made it to the temple. And so, unfortunately, there were even those abuses that happened. And so Jesus gives this analysis of the scribe. 
You see, they were using their religion for what they could get out of it. It wasn't about their relationship with God. It was for what they could get out of it. Now, uh, it was what they could gain as a result of that. And, and that could be true for us even today who call ourselves believers. It could be that I really don't care so much about my relationship with God. I just don't want to go to hell. I just want to go to heaven. So, you know, I'll give the appearance of being a believer so that, you know, I can go to heaven. Brothers and sisters, people, God will not be deceived. He knows our hearts. He knows if we truly believe in Him or, or we don't. It could be that our desire is to receive the benefits of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. I'll, I'll just tell you this. The more time I spend with unbelievers, the more time I see how blessed we are as Christians. And we don't even know it. Okay? I mean, I, I, I have friends who are unbelievers. And lots of times their life, and this isn't everybody who's an unbeliever, but sometimes they, they're just trying to figure life out themselves. And, and you, know, may, you know, maybe they have friends, but, you know, there's just something to be part of a body who loves you so much that when you're in a hospital, they're there for you. You know, whenever uh, you have even a time of rejoicing, maybe a child is born or something, someone brings you a meal to help you out. People are praying for you. People are checking on you. It is blessed, brothers and sisters, to be part of the church. As much as people want to put the church down today, you are the church. And it is a blessing, even as imperfect as we are. And uh, so it could be that a person wants to appear to be religious and come to church just to be around friends, just to be around people who care for them. And yet, really, they care nothing about the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus uh, speaks about that. But then he points out an interesting contrast beginning in verse 41, where, where Jesus talks about this widow. And that brings us to our third point today, and to the main part of our sermon. The third thing that we see is those who make a false profession give things, but they don't give of themselves. They give things, but they don't give of themselves. Verse 41, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Here is Jesus watching. Just silently watching. I don't know if you're a, a people watcher or not. I know that might sound a little creepy, you know. But I do know people, and I even enjoy this myself. Just sitting, I don't like going to the mall, but sitting somewhere, you know, maybe like the mall, and just watching people go by. And, you know, you see parents correcting their kids or, you know, the, uh, an older couple walking or, you know, and you're just sort of wondering, what, wondering what's going on in their life. And you're just sort of observing, not in a creepy way, just in an curious way and Jesus is watching people come into the house of God and they're giving their money and they're giving their treasure and he's just watching but he looks past their actions into their hearts he is the son of God and the son of man and he sees into their hearts and brothers and sisters let us not forget that Christ is present here this morning with us with every one of us. And I think we ought to ask ourselves, as he's looking into my heart, what does he see? Silently watching. Well, uh, many rich people came in, put large sums of money into the offering containers, and then here comes this widow who puts in two small copper coins that equal a penny. 
And Jesus calls his disciples to him and he says in verse 43, This poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. He wasn't saying she gave more than any other individual that put money in the offering box. He's saying she's putting more money in the offering box than all these people combined. For they had contributed out of the abundance of their abundance. They had more than, than they needed. They had so much so that they could give a lot. And it really did not reduce the amount that was left over to meet their needs and their wants. I mean, you think about that. So maybe they need this much to live on, but they made this much. And so they had all this over here that they could give out of. And it really didn't affect this part of their life over here at all. Now, don't get me wrong. If they had all of this to use, then yes, maybe they could have spent that more on themselves. They could have been more lavish in terms of self-gratification. But the point I want us to get this morning is, is that their, their, their giving did not really cost them. Though it may have inconvenienced them a little because they gave out of their abundance, there was no great sacrifice that was given uh, from these people. There was not much of anything that they gave that they wanted that, that would have kept... There's, excuse me, let me say it again. There was nothing that they gave to the temple that would have kept them from getting what they needed or wanted in life. Now, maybe that's like us today. I don't know. Maybe you're a person who budgets. Maybe you're not a person who budgets. But regardless, we set aside 10% of what the Lord has given to us that we might give to God. And that's not typically a problem because... We have 90% left over of what we make to live off of. And for most of us, that's more than enough. Now, I understand inflation and things are getting tight. And it's maybe not quite as easy as what it was. But brothers and sisters, let's be honest. We are any, any, we are long stretch of the imagination of being poor, are we not? We still have quite a bit of expendable income. And there may even be those that are here today that are even more generous than that. You not only give 10%, but then there are individual missionaries or ministries that you support. And so you save out monies to give to that as well. Or maybe you have sort of a personal mercy fund that you keep in your budget. Sort of monies that you set aside just in case you run into somebody that has a need. Maybe a neighbor or a friend who's out of work or somebody's car breaks down and you just, just want to chip in and you just want to help them out. And so you have some money that saves aside. And it's a good thing for us to do that. As a matter of fact, as I was studying the scriptures this week, I came across a passage that sort of blew me away. Turn there, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Ephesians 4, 28. Um, it was just one of those verses. It's like, okay, okay, okay. Whoa, I didn't see that. Um, let me read it. Ephesians 4, 28. Let the thief... No longer steal. Okay, now this makes sense. Paul's writing to the church and he's like, if you used to be a thief and you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, stop stealing. Okay, that makes sense, right? But rather, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. That makes sense. He shouldn't steal any longer. He should work so that he can make an honest living. But this is what's hit me hard, is the reason why he gave for doing that. He said, so that he may have something to share 
with anyone in need. It wasn't so he could meet his own needs. It was so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. I, I appreciate Larry Burkett, who's been in glory for many, many, many years, but he was a guru of budgeting, and, and I listened to him in my early days, and that was one of the points he made as he went to Scripture. He said, what you have was not given to you just for you. It was given to you for other people as well. And so you are only to take that which you need and you are to free up the rest of it to use it as God wants you to use to, to bless other people. And that's really what we see here. So it's good for us to have those funds maybe that we set aside to help other people. So for some of us, we may, instead of saving out 10%, maybe say about 15%, 20%. 30% to give to God. Others, that still leaves us 70 to 85% to live on ourselves. But for most of us, brothers and sisters, that's still doable. That doesn't really inconvenience our lifestyle really all that much. So I think that it's, it can be very easy for us to be like those rich people who come into the temple and maybe give very generously, but we are giving out of our abundance. But not the widow. The widow, on the other hand, she gives in a very different way. She gave two small coins called alepta, okay? And an alepta was 164th of a denarius, okay? And I just say that because I know that many of you know what a denarius is. That's a day's wages for uh, a laborer in Jesus' day. Okay, and this was one sixty-fourth of a labor. Now, let me try to put this in today's language, just to help you to go. Whoa! Uh, let's just say you make thirty thousand dollars a year. Okay, and if you work five days a week, fifty-two weeks a year, that's two hundred and sixty days. Okay, so if you take thirty thousand dollars and divide that by two hundred and sixty, it gives you roughly one hundred and fifteen dollars. Okay, so one hundred and fifteen dollars a day to pay your rent or your mortgage buy your groceries, your gas, your utilities, everything that, that you need to get, okay? So that's what it has. Now this woman would have had 164th of $115, which would have been $1.80. Now she had two coins though, so she had $3.60. And rather than give one coin to God in the temple and want, keep one coin herself, she gave it all, which monetarily was not much of anything. Monetarily, this was of so little value, and yet Jesus says, his interpretation is, she gave it all. She gave the most of anyone else. You see, her offering was an expression of her heart. She gave all she had to give. Actually, look at the end of verse 44. The very last phrase, Jesus explains how much she gave. She gave all she had to live on. Imagine, she had $3.60 to pay rent or mortgage, buy groceries, utilities, all that stuff. And she gave it all. She gave everything. And it captured Jesus' attention. And, and she didn't give out of her wealth. She gave out of her poverty. Out of what she lacked. You see, she put her trust totally in God's hands. Lord, it's yours. <clears throat> we can do that too, brothers and sisters. 
We can do that too. Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, the Son of God, the Lord of Lords, the one from whom all the angels hide their faces because His glory is so magnificent. He came and He gave His life for you. And as you serve Him, do you merely give Him things? Maybe lots of things. Maybe good things. Maybe even valuable things. Maybe you give a lot of yourself. And maybe you feel that way. I really give a lot to God and the church and, and things like that. But the question is, do you give your all? Let me just ask you some questions just to sort of test our hearts. Okay? Because sometimes we can think one thing, but until that's tested, maybe we might think the wrong thing. When, when God says to you, go this way or that way, which direction do you go? Do you go this way or do you go that way? I know a lot of you parents, you're seeking to teach your children first-time obedience. When mom and dad said something, I'm not counting to three. I'm not going to give you a hundred different opportunities to obey. I want you to obey the first time. As a matter of fact, I want your ear to be attuned to my voice. I want you to listen to mom and dad, and when we say something, I want you to do it. Brothers and sisters, is that where we are with God? When God brings things into your life that you don't want, do you say, Lord, please bring what is good in your sight? Whatever you want, Lord. I don't understand it, but I trust you. When he takes things you want to keep, do you hold them with an open hand and you say, Lord, not my will, but your will? If you want it, Lord, it's yours. I don't care how precious it is. It may not just be my money or my time or my talents. It may be my kids or my spouse or maybe my health, or maybe my job, whatever it may be. When God hurts you, and you know those, if you've walked with the Lord any number of years at all, you know there are times when God takes you through very difficult things because He loves you so much, and He has to take you there that you might experience Him in, in His glory and His magnificence, and you might... Anyway, you just have to know somebody that's gone through that to, to know God is doing such good things. When he hurts you, do you say, Lord, will you slay me, yet I will cling to you? I will not leave you, Lord. I'm not, I'm not a fair-weather friend. I will follow you all my days, staying by your empty tomb, living the kind of life you want me to live until you return. Oh, Lord Jesus, I love you. And I give you my all. Now, I don't know. I know we have a number of people that, have, that live in the country, but have you ever walked a dog on a leash in the city? If you do, you've probably experienced this. You're walking down the road with the dog, and they're on the leash, and you come up to a lamp post or a sign, and inevitably, what happens? You walk around this side, and the dog walks around this side, right? Well, what happens? The leash gets all messed up and and you're just struggling and so you're pulling on the leash to try the 
trying to pull the dog backwards because you know that's the only way he could truly go forward, right? But what, what's going on in that moment? It's a battle of the wills. Especially if you have a 70 or 80 pound dog, right? And you're a little person and you're trying to pull this massive dog and they're pulling against you. Now, sometimes the dog will have the sense to obey the tug of the master and realize he's getting ahead of his master and he'll say, okay, I need to back up because my master's pulling me back. But too often the case is the dog is trying to move forwards and so there's that battle. Well, how often do we run past the cross saying, I need to give more. I need to do more. I need to be better for Jesus. And Jesus is pulling us back. And he's calling us to live the life of devotion at the feet of the master who gave himself for us. His sweat, his tears, his blood, his life for you. Being devoted to the Father to bring, to purchase a people and to bring them home that they may be with him in glory forever and ever and ever. Brothers and sisters, let that get through our, our thick heads and our calloused hearts and our stiff necks so that we might be willing to let go of all and to follow him in our lives. So I just want to ask you this morning, what, what are you holding on to this morning that you're not willing to give to Christ? How, how have you been like that dog that's walking around the other side of the lamppost or the sign pulling against your master's tug? What, what has the Holy Spirit been convicting you of but you have not been willing to let go because you're like, Lord, that costs too much. I don't know that I could do that, Lord. And yet he's calling you to step out in faith. Well, I want us this morning to ask Jesus Christ, who is present with us, to examine our hearts this morning. He's watching. He's watching you and me. And what does he see? Does he see a life that is grateful to him? No matter what he does or, or ask of us, we gladly do it. Or is our attitude simply to give the Lord things from our life, our money, our talents, our, our time, or to give Him our all? Which, like the widow, is really nothing, right? Anything we give to the Lord is really nothing compared to what He's given for us. But He gave Himself for us wholeheartedly to the Father to do His will, the will of the Father, not Jesus' own will. And the Holy Spirit works in those whom Christ has purchased to live more and more in submission to His will. He died and He rose again to set us free from half-hearted <coughs> service to God. You see, oftentimes when God comes into our lives and He calls us to follow Him, there's oftentimes fear that's there. A fear that causes us to sort of pull back or to retract from those things that Jesus demands in our life because we're like, Lord, I can't do that. Or, or maybe there's the self-centered, proud self-sufficiency which raises its ugly head every time we step out in faith. But brothers and sisters, those things have died on the cross. Jesus Christ put those things to death 
And he says, I have given my all to my Father. I am with you, and I will walk through this with you as you step out in faith. I want us to understand this morning, because I'm, I'm afraid I'm making it sound like this. It is not us giving ourselves to God more fully this morning that is our hope. That's not our hope. Rather, it is that Christ has given Himself completely for us to set us free to follow Him. We are free, brothers and sisters. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, if He is your Savior and Lord and you are walking with Him, you are free. So when you give to Christ, whether it's your time or your treasures, you don't merely give of your things. You give yourself. You say, Lord, what do you want? I gladly give it to you. And we live as those who have been forgiven and set free in Him. But if you do not know Him this morning, and maybe you've been playing games with God, and, and, and maybe you're realizing as you hear me talk this morning, you're going, I have. I've not been serious. I've been like these scribes. You know, I, I actually don't even read my Bible that much, and, and I really am about appearance. I want people to think very high of me, and, and I do really appreciate the things I get, you know, from God, um, but I'm not willing to pay the cost. He calls you this morning to come to Him, to lay all that aside, lay all your fears, all your struggles, to come to Him and say, Lord, help me in my weakness. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to trust in you and give my life to you. And he is faithful and he will. Today, brothers, today is a day of salvation. And if you don't know him, I want to talk to you after the worship service. Or if you're watching online, contact me through our website. And I would love to talk to you more. Because God is a God who forgives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our head for a time of a silent meditation this morning. Lord, we come today and we just give thanks to you, God, because we know that in our natural man, we are the scribes. We are those people. But we who know you, thank you, O oh God, for your great work of faith that you have done in our lives, that you have changed our and are changing our hearts to be more like you. And we thank you and pray that you would continue to do such work not only in individuals and households, but in our church family as well. Lord, I pray for those that do not know you. And I pray that today that they would give their life to you, that the fears, the worries, the, the things that they are wrestling with, that they would lay at the foot of the cross. And like that woman who gave everything to you, may they lay down their life, which really isn't worth anything monetarily. 
that they would lay down their lives for you, that you might give them new lives. We just thank you, O oh Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen.